With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to another edition of Irish Illustrated Insider, brought to you by irishillustrated.com. I'm Pete Sampson with Tim Priester and Tim O'Malley. Like Notre Dame, we're flying the W today. Notre Dame 30, Miami 27, um, a game that was wilder than it should have been, needed to have been, um, but was in the end. So when you sit back and take a look at that film, are you more impressed with, I don't know, Notre Dame's resolve to win, Notre Dame's luck that they won, the fact that Notre Dame really put the hammer down to be up 20 or 20 nothing early, or does the most of the focus go to the fact that they gave up 27 straight points? Well, since they, they give up, large streaks of points. I mean, that's kind of the norm. I guess I'm what I'm most impressed with is that the defense continues to take take a step forward. And again, by no means since the Van Gorder firing have they played great offenses, but this was the best of the ones that they've seen, or at least since the second half of Syracuse. And, you know, they did a great job. They didn't do they didn't do a great job on the sudden change after the, the fumbled uh, punt with pride. But, um, you know, they had the stop after the onside kick, and then they held on third and fourth down before the end of the first half. And that was significant because at that point, it certainly looked like Miami was going to at least be within one score of Notre Dame at halftime. For the most impressive, I like, I like the start of the game to come out like that. It's fully engaged. I mean, the, the, the play calling was beautiful, actually, at the beginning of the game. Just some of the things you could tell they worked on. Um, but it is kind of a microcosm of the season that it has to go that way when you're up 20 to nothing and you're hoping to recover a fumble, not to uh, have to go into overtime at the end. It's it's unfortunate, but that is they are who they are. They're not a 60-minute team. Uh, but they don't need to be a 60-minute team in the next two games, probably. Uh, I almost wonder if the way the defense is playing, if this is a bad time, not that it matters, for the option break. I mean, I know. Oh, really you know what is. I mean? Yeah, yeah. just go and uh, you take your chances against Virginia Tech at this point, but it, it doesn't matter. They, they, don't, have, they don't have that choice. Yeah. But it'll be it's going to look a lot different, you know, for some of these young guys uh, – a lot of guys making progress like Troy Pride and Dante Vaughn. You just wonder how much they're called upon in the next two weeks. Yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, the defense is... We can stop talking about the defense being good relative to Brian Van Gorder. It's just good. Like, it's it's a good defense now. I mean, you look at their yards per play in the last four games, they're 4.44 yards. If you just stuck that into the national rankings now, it would be number five nationally. It would be right behind Ohio State, I think ahead of Clemson. The, pre- the Van Gorder four games, they were at 6.18, which would be 102nd. So you can look at that and say, oh, it's only a yard and a, a, yard and a half is huge yeah, yeah, yeah. in that statistic. So they have come a massive distance there in a short amount of time. And I mean, that includes, and I think that's why you look at the Syracuse game as a real positive, even though they gave up five touchdowns, because in yards per play, they did a very nice job in that game against a team that ran 88 plays. Miami ran, I think, what, 77 plays. Average four yards per play, that's a great number against anybody, um, but it's particularly a, a good, a great number against a, 
a competent offense. Miami isn't a great offense, but they're at least competent in Notre Dame. A really nice I would just love to see them, you know, get to five, get to five and five, and then you have Virginia Tech and USC, which are the two best offenses that they will have faced in the post Van Gorder era. I, I, I'm still a little skeptical. Um, you know, just against a real quality offense, a real quality offensive line that can run the football. Um, I love the, you got to love the approach that they took against Miami, attacking the line of scrimmage. That's why there were 12, you know, tackles for lost yardage. Jerron Jones, absolutely spectacular. Uh, it's definitely the wrong type of offense for Jerron Jones to yeah. be facing yeah. here the next couple of weeks because he's in, he's in such a groove. But, you know, we talked about it. Let him attack a man one-on-one. That's where he's at his best. Legally, you're not supposed to engage him with another block once he engages. Below the below the waist. Below yeah. the waist with a yeah, with a with an uh you know, the center, generally speaking. He dominated Linder. Oh, I mean he dominated gosh. McDermott. Two guys that, that could have been wearing a Nordame uniform, right, Pete? Yeah, yeah, McDermott especially. Yeah. So um, yeah, I, no, you're right. It points taken, Pete. I mean, they're they're a good defense right yep. now. Uh, different kind of challenge here the next two weeks. But again, I go back to Bob Elliott, and that's somebody that I want to ask Brian Kelly about a lot on on Tuesday. He'll probably downplay it because he doesn't want to take away from from Hudson and and Elston. I don't, you know, I don't know. Yeah, I, that, that whole thing is weird. Yeah, sometimes I don't know why they don't. You know, it's like. Who's the offensive coordinator? Who's calling plays? We're going to keep that a secret. Who's the defensive coordinator? Who's the emotional leader? Who's the? Remember when I asked him after the Michigan State win in 2012, and they had a lot of touchdown in a month and everything? Just mentioned Bob Diaco's name. Well, you have to understand, there's a lot of coaches on this roster. Sorry, man, he orchestrates an entire defense that I, never allows points. I, I don't quite. Un- I don't understand that. But Bob Elliott is the key because he is the guy when they needed somebody to come up with a plan to stop triple option football. He's the guy they turn to. They, you know, during the NBC broadcast, you see Elston upstairs, and that's Bob Elliott sitting right next to him, and he's not just sitting idly by either. Yeah, he's got a. It's got a big job the next two weeks. I mean, that's yeah. babies. They just keep coming, and you can give the game away. I expect you know that Notre Dame's going to keep keep playing well, but it's a, it's a concentration issue now all week, all the way through the end of the game. Yeah, and it's I mean we haven't seen practice in forever, obviously, yeah. uh, and I don't remember as much in camp a point being made of like that option breakout sessions that Bob Elliott <laughs> was leading. So I don't know. I'm assuming they're doing exactly the same thing because mm-hmm. it worked, so that's what you do. Schematically, that doesn't mean they're going to attack it the same way, but in terms of the time devoted to preparation, I would assume that's been the same despite the season really sort of going off the rails. They'll move to a four-man front, likely. I mean, that's what they've done here in, in recent games against Georgia Tech. And, you know, you're going to see Tranquil in the box. Mm-hmm. You're going to see – I would think they'd be a little bit creative with Anwalu, who can may, maybe be a little bit more centrally located in certain alignments. This might be a game for Fertitta. Brian Kelly talked about, you know, how bright he is and how quickly he picks things up and doesn't allow him to get leveraged. Leverage is yeah. a significant thing against triple option football. So it'll be interesting to see. And Martini, bad timing for him getting a, a concussion. He's outstanding against the Yeah, he's just yeah. he's absolutely great. So they have they have some answers and and they have, um, you know, some things to fall. They have an um, what's the word I'm looking for? An inventory to fall back on with relating to, yeah, to this. I mean, Martini last year he finished with 35 tackles. 17 of them yeah, were against so Georgia stat. Tech and Navy. I mean, so he's outstanding. It's been very rare over the last few years that somebody picks up a concussion and plays the next week, including Torrey Hunter this year. Tyler Lutua missed a couple weeks last year. Corey Robinson has missed. James Onwalu has missed. Everett Colson missed in 2012 with a concussion. So it's, 
I can't see Cage, Martini, or McGovern playing this weekend. Cage is significant, too, because Pete Mock was... That was the first tackle of his career uh, on Saturday against Miami. Now, maybe, but maybe he's been spending the entire right. season on that uh, sort of special options unit or whatever they call it. You probably see you probably see less of Dalen Hayes, maybe more of Jay Hayes. Maybe Rochelle plays a little a little bit inside. Trombetti's fine this week too. I mean, yeah. that's that's a guy. So that I mean, you, they do have options and and. Man, I mean, think about a couple years ago, and it's like, oh God, here comes triple option. They don't have any idea what they what to do. They have a good idea, and they have a bunch of players that have played against us and had success. Now, one way to handle the triple option is control the pace on the other side of the ball. A good way to do that is to run the ball. Their name still is not really doing that, and I can't quite figure out what's happening there because, I mean, you look at when Notre Dame was up twenty to nothing. The gap between that time and Josh Adams' 41-yard touchdown runs. The Rams running backs had six carries for six yards. That's unbelievable. At a time where you should be grabbing hold of the pace of play of that game, the attitude of that game, and you're chucking it all over the place. And I understand that the fourth down stop where C.J. Sanders get blown up, numbers game, makes sense. You had two guys over there, Miami had one. My question is, like, what is it about the attitude of this team and this play caller that that's the option you would go to, that you wouldn't just line up, put your quarterback under center and sneak it or hand it off or or do something between the tackles because physically you're superior to Miami? It's not what they do. Okay. Well, you're right. It isn't what yeah. they do. And we, we met, I mentioned right before this started their last 10 goal-to-go situations. We should break this down. There were 10 goal-to-go situations through September. That ends with the Duke game. The Van Gorder hero. The Van Gorder hero. <laughs> they, were, they had scored nine touchdowns in their first ten trips, goal to go, which is remarkable, which is great. Yeah. Um, the last ten, when the defense has gotten better and the offense has regressed, they have three touchdowns. Now, they do have the game-winning field goal, but clearly they were not kneeling for the game-winning field goal <laughs> as they fumbled. So <laughs> close to <laughs> <Yeah>. a turnover. <laughs> so, three of ten in their last ten trips in goal to go. And I can't think of any other way of describing. There's only one. Tur- there's one turnover. NC State. I can't think of any other way of describing it other than that's not what they do. What you just said, and that they simply, maddeningly, as you pointed out, I believe on Twitter, line up seven yards away from the line of scrimmage when the ball's on the one yard line. Yeah, God, I just <laughs> like, said that, like, Jack. Yeah. I said that to you yeah. when we were standing on field at the end of the game. It's like that's yes. the one. I think I but said Kaiser's that. at the seven. Yeah, <laughs> just. What are you doing? <laughs> it is hard to run it in from the seven. Maybe that's yeah. what you're thinking. You know, that's a long way to go. <laughs> Coach, it's not close. Why'd you call a running play? Actually, I was in, I stay in the press box to continue writing when you guys were down there, and there was a comment. It wasn't me, unfortunately. It was a good one. When they had, Of course, they had a penalty, because they always have penalties in goal-to-go situations mm-hmm. as well. They move them back to the seven. They're like, it was probably on purpose. Now they can pass. It's too hard to throw from the one. Get <laughs> <laughs> a little more real estate to work with. Yeah. But, yeah, it's just, it's it's difficult to get your head around that. But, I mean, it, it, it's kind of one of those things where their Notre Dame was going to win or lose. It doesn't change the fact that it's just not Brian Kelly's identity. And if you're okay with this being the identity of Notre Dame football, keep rolling with it. Because it's not changing. I mean, there, I, there, I don't see a moment where Brian Kelly's going to sit there and like, you know what? We need to have a more of a power running game inside the ten. If it hasn't, ha- I mean, if like, it hasn't happened by now, how many times do you have to? How many? How much Stanford tape do, do they watch before they're like, man, that's kind of a fact. Like, I wonder if we could do that. Well, and did you hear Miami had a couple extra hats in the box yeah. early in the game? 
And then they just they have linebackers. Stop. We can't run. They have linebackers on the field. There's no running when linebackers are involved. Look, I look. Obviously, it's more complicated than yes, that, and we're is. we're amateurs compared to them. We're but it's not as complicated as they're making. It. Yes, yeah. there's, a, there's yeah. a happy yeah. medium here. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, that's a that's a little bit nuts. Um, I don't know if there's anything else to talk about the Miami game, particularly. But now that they are three and five, with a very good chance to go to five and five. The bowl possibility is actually a conversation you can have, whereas it was a bit laughable on Saturday morning when you woke up before they beat Miami. And it's like you look at the options now to go six and six, they're probably still going to get into a tier one ACC bowl game, which is Pinstripe, Belk, Sun, or formerly Gator Bowl, Paxlayer, and Jacksonville. Um, just because there's not going to be enough ACC teams that finish eight and four. To enforce that one win rule, I haven't even looked yeah. at that. Really. Yeah, so I mean, I was looking over the ACC standings today. Aside from uh, so, Clemson's the playoff, Louisville's in the Orange Bowl. Then you've got North Carolina, probably to the Russell Athletic Bowl, and then you get into that next group of four. Other than Virginia Tech, Florida State, and Florida State, those are probably the only two teams that are going to finish with eight wins. Everyone else is going to be seven and five at best. So Notre Dame takes the seven and five team. Yes. So Notre Dame is probably, if they just win six, going to one of those semi decent, not totally awful, terrible bowl games that are played, you know, in Detroit on Christmas Day. So there's um, just from a, a holiday destination. Well, there's a lot got, to play for. Yeah, but I I don't see them beat. I don't see them beating Virginia Tech or USC right now. You know, I'd like to bring up uh, for all Notre Dame fans that like bowl games no matter what, a 5-7 and seven Notre Dame team can also go to a bowl game. Three 5-7 and seven teams went to bowl games last year. Because of the, and they, if bowl teams that oh my have God. enough wins yeah. don't, is it the APR? If yes, they don't have a high APR. enough APR score, they're not allowed to go, Are, are you, you can take it. You're definitely not going, right? Well, if they're 5-7. <laughs> and seven. Well, here, here's what I'm going to say. The 5-7 and seven bowl destinations last year won all five, the three 5-7 and seven teams all won. But here's where they went. They went to Detroit. Mm. San Francisco, ding, and Orlando, ding. So, I don't know, maybe I will tag along that one. <laughs> we'll see. But it's uh, the APR is a funky statistic, so just because Notre Dame actually graduates players doesn't mean they have a great APR. Um, you have to be Navy to go 5-7, and seven, you know, just throwing that out there. So you do have to do that. Um, but uh, just the bowl destination is... That's that's realistic. It's something you can talk about again. I do think they would go at 5-7 and seven too, right? Because they're so young. Kelly would... Uh, Want the practices. If they are, if they are able to go, I think they would yeah, go. Yeah. Um, and it's it's weird the way that it works. Like it just it's slotted by APR, and then the team picks the bowl, opposed to the bowl picking the team. Um, so, oh, so there wouldn't be Detroit then. They're not going to pick Detroit. Well, if they're not first in APR, which I don't think no. that they are, um, like that Duke will be another five and seven team. Possibly, yes. Um, and they didn't send ten guys to the NFL last year, Pete. So are I don't you, think. Are you kidding? five and seven? We're going to Orlando. <laughs> you got to be kidding me! I will take that. I, I yes, think, I think the game that bowl game is actually forty eight hours after the USC game. There's going to be some. <laughs> <laughs> there's going to be some awful provision that uh, somehow Ohio State ends up playing Notre Dame in the bowl game again this year. <laughs> it's just going to be the worst situation. Ohio State scout team. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, that's it for segment one. Now that we've explained thoroughly Notre Dame's bowl possibilities, segment two, we've got a lot of questions, as you might imagine, a lot of special teams talk, defense, what's up with the play calling. So, all that next, segment two, Irish Illustrated Insider.
segment two of Irish Illustrated Insider is our our burning up the board segment. We start with Golden by name. Is there something we are all missing on the lack of confidence that Brian Kelly has in giving the running backs more carries during a game? I think we started touching on it in the last. It's just in the last segment. This is the offense. This is what you're getting. Um, I think he believes maybe the off. You could say maybe he thinks the offensive line will pass protect better than a run blocks this year, and he's has a penchant for the pass anyway. So. They threw nine times to the running backs, I believe, in this game. They had nine receptions. Nine receptions, so they threw ten. Then I can remember one. That was that was an offshoot of the short passing game yeah. that I do think is beneficial, and it's a way to get uh, Folston involved and maybe loosen up a little bit out in the space. I, I, would, I would say the short passing game is an extension of the passing game. <laughs> yeah, that's a bunch of right. right. There, there, there is no the only connection between. That that whole line of extension of the running game is you're giving you're getting the ball in the hands of a running back, but it in no way simulates running the football between the tackles. We had uh, I'm reminded of shirts we had our senior year uh, for tailgating. We had to think of things to do because that was the bad Notre Dame team that was six four and one. You can't drink all day if you don't start in the morning. You can't pass all game if you don't start throwing early because yeah. that guy wants to get the ball in the air, man. Well, that's, what's, to me, that's what's interesting about it because they don't start on the first drive. On the first drive, they run it, and then they stop doing it. Um, you know, it's Stanford when Folston comes in. Uh, I think that was the second drive, yeah. first drive. Adams was in there running it. Same thing last Saturday. They start out, they're running the ball. There's balance for the first couple drives, and then it just stops. You think it's a script? You know, we, we don't talk about a script with Kelly well, a lot, but most coaches do use the script, though, yeah. yeah but do. then they can't come back to the script. Or so it yeah, seems, it's, it's, right? It's, the adjustments on offense are very strange this year. It, it's just very, it, it's an odd thing. I mean, Miami adjusted to Notre Dame's short passing game to the running backs by all of a sudden destroying those short passes. They yes. would be turned into one- and two-yard gains. I thought there was going to be an offshoot from those, where you get a wheel route or something else behind it. Uh, maybe there was, we don't know, but... Yeah, Patrick maybe not hit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Might not have hit, but uh, maybe maybe it's for the future too. Yeah, it's it, difficult to. He'd rather throw to, to answer the question. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> bottom line, Terry, Terry Benedict asks: Are we now in a spot where we can say the defense has developed more than the offense has? I think you said that, Tim. Uh, three yeah, weeks ago. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, well, right. at least it's evolving yeah. uh, to more success, which is. Frustrating and encapsulates this entire season that you can't put anything together with, with, and you can always count on having the special teams screw things up too. So, um, yeah, I mean the defense has gotten better, and to go forty three, they went forty three minutes in between touchdowns after St. Brown caught, you know, made a really nice catch on that low throw into the end zone. They went forty three minutes in between touchdowns. They've had. Five games where they've gone at least 20 minutes in between touchdowns. Stanford was the final 36 minutes. I'm going to do um, something this Texas, week on the I, lapses. Texas, I believe, was a 20-minute and 20-second stretch along those lines. Duke, they had a similar one, 22 minutes. And the only game they didn't really, um, Nevada and Michigan, oh, Michigan State, they had a massive. I mean, they clearly didn't. They went for two quarters right. without scoring a touchdown. Right. But it's, yeah, it's a strain, and it's weird. They're, they're losing the second and third quarters and winning the first and fourth quarters, and it's just a strange situation. I, you for know, it. I think, I, I mean, I think it's everything. I think, you know, Kaiser has to take some responsibility yeah. for that, certainly the offensive line. I've mentioned several times the young receiving core. You know, maybe they don't adjust right. as defenses adjust to them as the game goes on. Uh, play calling, you know, the inability to get back to those core 
set of plays that you had success with early in the game? It was 20 to nothing, and Kevin Stefferson looked like Jerry Rice on a uh, sprinting down the field, and he got to the nine-yard line, which apparently is the place not to land, and their offense just stopped completely for the next 25 game minutes. They had nothing going on for them. It was very... I mean, they looked like they Did were they going go to pass, blow pass, pass Miami. There? Yeah, three passes in a row inside the <laughs> nine-yard line. <laughs> oh, my God. So many hats in the box. This. <laughs> but, yeah, to answer Terry Benedict's question, yes, I think that the defense has developed more than the offense. And like I said in the first segment, the way to look at this defense now is it's legitimately good, not good since Brian Van Gorder left. It's just good. Like, they play good defense now. Jerron Jones has been great the last couple weeks. Niles Morgan is playing off of that. I mean, I think that was really oh. one of our big concerns at the beginning of the year. Niles Morgan wasn't going to look as good as he could be because the guys in front of him weren't going to be fully engaged. That's not happening right now. The guys in front of him are engaged, and Niles Morgan can just clean up. Uh, I mean, he had three tackles for loss, two sacks, nine tackles. I mean, it's like Jerron Jones isn't just getting tackles for loss for himself. He's creating for other people, too. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, and that is just not something that was happening at the beginning he of the year. He created a sack for Rochelle. He yeah. created a quarterback pressure for Tillery, at least one. He, 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 he was, was a dominant force. He looked, he looked <laughs> he was like amazing. Steve Entman. <laughs> he was, he was just amazing. an absolutely dominant player. He, there's no way. I can't remember... A guy doing that. Let everybody know who Steve Edmond is. Well, and I talked to uh, Randy Hart, you know, the defensive line coach. Yeah. Notre Dame couldn't keep around because he couldn't coach defensive line after they fired Weiss. And then he went to Stanford and they bulldozed everybody yeah. for five years. But Randy Hart was the uh, defensive coordinator, or defensive line coach, I'm sorry, for Steve Edmond and the Washington Huskies. Washington, yeah. Back in 91 when they split the uh, national title with Miami and Gino Toretto won the Heisman and Steve Edmond was... 100 million times better at football than Gino Toretto. That's who Steve Entman is. But Randy Hart said that, I asked him the best guys ever coached, I kind of, mine froze when I was talking to him. He's like, well, Steve Entman, because when your nose tackle wants to make every tackle on the field 30 yards away from the wow. play, it makes him pretty good. <laughs> yeah. so, that would be number yeah. one overall pick Steve Entman, yes. I think, right? And, and injuries killed his pro career. Jerron, yeah. Yeah. looked like Entman. <laughs> Good place to be. I, Irish, I was tailgating. So Notre Dame finally wins a close game for the first time in a while. Should it have been that close? And what is it about Brian Kelly and the era here that causes Notre Dame to be in so many dogfights regardless of the quality of the opponent? Well, Pete, you talked about six running plays in how long of a span. that, that He just, rather than grind it out and use the clock and exert your physical force on an opponent, he looks at it as a great opportunity to throw a little bit more and to put it out of reach, and then that rarely works, and or at least it hasn't this year. And uh, and the other team gets in the game. I mean, should you know? I, it, it, he's been talking about like coaching to be prepared for close games, right. and does that kind of foster the idea in the players' heads? And, right, 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 right. I think the game should have been that close. Just like the other five, because I think in those six games you had 12, no, seven average teams playing football. And that's what happens. You had Notre Dame and Michigan State. Michigan State has flaws. You had Notre Dame and Texas. You had Notre Dame and Duke. (laughs) That game's amazing. You You had Notre Dame and Stanford. You had Notre Dame and NC State in a hurricane. And you had Notre Dame and Miami. And you're not, you're just fine at football. You're going to get close games and... 
they don't go for the jugular. That's what makes most those people mad. That is the epitome of mediocrity in college football in 2016. Those teams that you're, I mean, you're yeah. absolutely right. Uh, you know, fortunately, Duke is for them. They have a, a great coach. But when I when I look at the games that Duke has played since Notre Dame played, yeah, they scored 38 points. Oh my god! <laughs> I, 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 that's, that's winless in the ACC, Duke. Oh my god! And it's winless in the Big Ten, Michigan State. Um, you know, just look at Brian Kelly's six and a half years here. Thirty-eight percent of the games are by seven points or less. So when you're making your pick for the next week, pretty good chance it's going to be less a touchdown or less. Uh, he's been pretty good in those, you know, twenty-one and thirteen, I guess. But I think the issue is that's too high of a volume. Like it, it is. Should, it should be. 30% or 20 it should, If you could just get that down to 28% of the games, that would be a reasonable figure. Right. I agree with you that I will say just in Kelly, not in Kelly's defense, in Notre Dame's defense, mostly Power 5 conference teams tend to be closer games. Then, sure. You know, you don't, you don't get as many easy wins. Where you, If you threw a couple UMasses out there, you could just make that percentage different. But they don't have to be close against Duke and Boston College and, and, and those type of teams of the last couple years where... I keep saying close against Duke, they lost the game. But, you know, there, there's... Oh, the, the Power Five Conference teams have athletes to keep a game close. It's just you shouldn't be worried about losing the fourth quarter. You don't have to blow their doors off of Duke. Yeah, and you especially at home. I mean, you should yeah. have some double-digit wins at home, for crying out loud, where it's, you should yeah. have an advantage. And next year when they have the... Is the scoreboard going to be the the difference maker for them? I mean, that is going to change the atmosphere. This has nothing to do with anything. Well, because I'm talking about atmosphere and winning by yeah. more at right, home, right, but right. I mean, well, that's going to, that's going to change the environment in Notre Dame stadium tremendously, whether it will impact in a positive way, the play on the field by Notre Dame. I don't know. You think it, it'll be cooler that they can show Tim Brown highlights rather than talk about them? Yeah, when they honor him on the field. Yeah, Tim Brown, we once returned two punts against Michigan State. Right. When, so when people walk onto the field, they can connect. Guy on the field, there he is. Got a little line of stats like Tech Mobile and a little yeah. mini scoreboard in 1997. Up yeah. there. that's that's quite a thing. Go ahead, Tim. <laughs> Irish Bob asks: Has the light bulb finally gone on with John Jones, or was it a good game against a rather poor Miami offensive line? Well, it's two great games in a row, right? I mean, one against two poor offensive lines, but he made them look like high school. True, yeah. but still, yeah, but still, you know, Stanford Miami he embarrassed still, them. Yeah, still, still notable. I, you know, I think the light bulb went on last week and it went on the week before. Yeah, he, I, I'm not sure. He's he, a, I think he's, he made a funny joke. He said, uh, "I haven't put out any job feelers yet, so I hope this NFL thing works out." I think he notices it's time. Yeah. I mean, it's and in fairness, you know, he well, all right. Let's let's not give him too much credit because you can work your way back from things. But he had a he had Liz Frank surgery. He tore his he tore his ACL. It's hard for a three hundred MCL. MCL. Excuse me. It's hard for a you know three hundred fifteen pound guy yeah. to come back from those things. He's huge. Now that doesn't absolve him from the first three years of when he didn't work as hard. But he's certainly become a very good fifth year senior in the second half. Of his of the second half of the season, and people can all say right now it's too late, big deal for three and five. But you got to flush that. I wrote a column about this, and I know a couple people took this the wrong way. But Brian Kelly is cannot go up there and answer questions every time about what was wrong and yes. why they are. We don't need to relitigate everything, right? It's look, he's coaching for the present. His players that are playing well now are playing for the present. Yes, it's too late. 
Yes, you can be thinking to yourself, Jerron Jones should have been on the field and doing this a lot you in mean the like, past. You, but you mean it's... like I relitigated he should have fired Van Gorder <laughs> yeah. for like the fourth time in my column this year? <laughs> no, I think they redshirt Romeo Aquara. <laughs> yeah, <they're... laughs> I just can't I can't I can't give it up. Well because No, it's no, but, it, no and you don't have to give it up, but Brian Kelly has to give it up. Yeah, like right. look. You could be super proud as a Notre Dame player you beat Miami, and we can be analysts and say, you look the same way you did when you, when you lost games. Yeah. And fan, one part of the fan base can say, I don't care, they're 3-5, and five, this team stinks. And one part can say, I really enjoyed beating Miami, and no one's wrong. But Brian Kelly has to go up there and talk about what's happening now and coach future. And we, it's our job, and we get to have all the fun of looking back at the Duke game. Exactly. <laughs> like, I mean, it's, I wrote this, like, they, did they learn to win? No. They learned not they how learned to lose, not lose against lose. Miami. They exactly. learned how not to lose. They fumbled at the goal line going in. Yeah, that's it. They're, they did not put the season in drive. They just took it out of reverse. Yeah, And that's right. okay. I mean, that's something. Like right. Brian it Kelly is. says, you can't win until you stop losing. Well, they stopped losing. Doesn't mean they're going to keep you're, winning, I think but exactly it means they right. stopped losing. As it relates to the question about Jerron Jones, I give the kid a lot of credit. Yes. I give Notre Dame's coaches a lot of credit because his first year when they redshirted him, there wasn't anybody in that program. There was not one person in that program that thought he was a legitimate major college defensive lineman. Including Deron Jones. Exactly. Deron yeah. Jones and I talked Wednesday. It was fun with Jack Freeman. And at one point three years ago, Deron Jones admitted he did not want to go to Dublin because he wanted to stay back and watch the game with friends. I reminded him of that fact. He kind of laughed and... You know, now Do you not have friends on the team? I know, like, he talked about, he, I guess it's fun to be a redshirted player. He's going to hire you as his agent. He should, yeah. my goodness, he went crazy. But um, no, he, he now is saying things like, I tell all the young guys, you know, it should be an honor for you to be on this plane. I know you want to hang out. I don't, I don't get what this hanging out is on Saturdays when you're a football player. But, you you know, but here's, he even made a funny joke. He said, yeah, I used to remember, you know, people would be at parties and be like, Hey, I play for that team. Yeah, but dude, you're here. They're playing right now. So yeah, he's using that for some. He, well, I can understand he's the hang- full circle, man. He's you a football can, player. You now. can't relate to the one to hang out during a Notre Dame game. I've been to 377 <laughs> straight games. I would love to hang out just watching a football game. I think if they let you run through the tunnel and you're a player, you'd choose that over maybe going <laughs> to Barnaby's and having pizza. Much but different. It's kind of kind of strange that Jerron Jones would have to identify himself as a football player at a part at a campus party like. <laughs> He's 300 pounds. Look, I just remember thinking when he told me that, because he was he was just starting to play. It was 2013. He had to play. He was on the scout team in the middle of the year. I, re- I remember the yeah. lead into this question, because we asked Lewis Nix the same thing right. when he was redshirting, and he said it was like one of the most miserable experiences of his entire freaking life. Which and is Jerron, what you want to hear. Yeah, and Jerron yeah. Jones is like, no, it's good. I didn't know <laughs> Well, he's become a player now. So he credit has. to the kid. You no, know, it's credit. great. He really and, has. And, you know, people talk about player development, and Brian Kelly's been, by and large, very good at player development. Not so much this year in certain instances, although they're playing a lot of young people, and some of, the, some of them are starting to develop. But player development, as it, re- it relates to Jerron Jones, is... True. And speaking of player development and defensive tackles in the Jerron Jones ilk, Jerron Jones said, I believe Jerry Tillery is a better one-on-one player and pass rusher than me. So that's something for the future for Irish fans. It is. And and Tillery's, you know, I've got to say that Jerry Tillery has played better than I thought he would this year. Yeah, yes. Statman72, with receivers who I assume are much faster than the Service Academy defensive backs, should Notre Dame stress the passing game? (laughs) Or should... 
I'm sorry, let me gather myself. <laughs> or should the focus be on running the ball to limit Army and Navy's possessions? I, I will answer this question before we start making the requisite comments. Uh, Brian Kelly lost to Navy once. They only ran the ball 20 times, which is just awesome. And they got housed by Navy in his first year. Since then, he has run more than pass in every single game mm. against Navy. All of them. And one of them was a function. 2011, Navy wasn't even a team. But look, even when these games are close, he, is act- he actually ran more than he threw in that 38-34 crazy Keenan Reynolds game at the stadium. Mm. Ten more runs than passes. So he knows. Uh, Eller Hardy. Yeah. Game, yeah. Hi, he knows they have to run against I Navy. I know, but they just... <laughs> They just started Ignore those this, statistics. this <laughs> short passing game. This short yeah. passing game that led to early success and ultimately led to a victory. Are you telling me <laughs> that they're going to run the football more than throw it this game? He, if he doesn't, the first question in the post game press conference is: If then, I mean, obviously they have to lose the game for this to matter. But look, they run to win against Navy, so I'm sticking with it. Brian Kelly is now a power running coach for the next two weeks. Well, there's the, run there, it down really, their throats. There's the prop bet of the week. Yes, it right is. There. I don't believe it, Mike. Yeah, I'm saying. I mean, remember like when Weiss was here and there was such pride taken at outrushing Navy. Like, you can get back to that. That would be. That'd yeah, be that's a well, sure and, way we, and we yeah. we talked about this a couple weeks ago, and I I firmly believe that that Charlie Weiss said it's not necessarily how many yards, but how many times you run it, and I yeah. and and that obviously is very true in games like this. Interesting enough, the forecast for Saturday is 73 degrees and sunny, so conditions will not preclude Notre Dame from throwing the ball. Of course not. <laughs> Fresh 16-19. We obviously know ND will hire a new DC, but what other coaches' roles will need to be filled either because of opportunities outside of Notre Dame, such as Mike Sanford, or not getting it done, such as Scott Booker? Do we definitely know that he won't hire Greg Hudson? Do we definitely know that? I don't think that you could... Say that for sure. I mean, I, I don't think you can say definitely not. So you're I changing mean, from defensive coordinator Mike Elston to Greg Hudson in the offseason? <laughs> yeah, that would be weird. Um, I, yeah, it's if the defense continues, like let's just say the defense continues to play at the rate it's played for the last four games and Notre Dame wins out. That's the key. And that happens. At that point, you kind of have to hire the guys already here, which is... A weird thing to say, because I never thought that that would even be a possibility, even remotely, when it happened. So you need... I mean, Mike Elson is recruiting coordinator and defensive coordinator. <laughs> no, he, so you'd have to hire a new recruiting coordinator. Ooh. Or promote somebody yeah. or whatever. It, that, you, would be, that would be a tough move to make, considering that he's done a good job at that. Yeah, I mean, could Autry Denson do it? Maybe you just mentioned um, the coordinator so much different than being a good recruiter though in the past, like Tony Alford. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know what kind of organizational right. figure Roger Denson is. Yeah. I, I just I have no concept of that. Um, so it's it would have it would have to get a look. Um, you know, could Elston be the promoted to defensive coordinator and Hudson promoted a linebackers coach? That's reasonable. Yeah. It's a reasonable solution. Uh, it, again, under the win out and look good doing it yeah. scenario, which is asking a ton. It is the dynamic of this coordinator situation is so interesting to me. I wish I could really know and will never be told the truth by Brian Kelly. Well, you'll be told wow. by about uh, you know like Bob <laughs> Elliott's right next to Mike Elston. Oh. Greg Hudson's down there on the sidelines. You know Mike Elston's calling these things because it would be impossible for. Greg Hudson to have been do- well, to be thrown into that role. All you have to do is watch Hudson and know that he's not. Yeah, he's but not doing that. So what? Yeah. It would be so interesting to see if it could continue in this realm. 
you could still you could take some stuff away from Elston's job and I mean yeah. give Hudson more responsibilities if you're doing it. I mean, look, it's at some point you would I don't I don't know what Mike Elston's career aspirations yeah. are, but I'm assuming they go beyond recruiting coordinator and position coach. Yeah. And this is a pretty damn good opportunity yeah. that he has in, on his plate right now and three games into it is has looked good. So, I mean, it's it's reasonable to think that or excuse me, four games into it it's reasonable to think that he would be gunning for this. Um, yes. You know, Chuck Martin was the recruiting coordinator and then moved to offensive coordinator. Uh, then then all for moving to that role. I, I don't know what they would do at recruiting coordinator, but if the 10th coach Could passes... Could Greg Hudson be a recruiting coordinator and linebacker's coach? I don't know. I mean, if, the, if that 10th coach passes... Greg Hudson strikes me as not the super organizational I, guy. I okay. was actually mildly facetious, okay. considering the old Greg Hudson. Yeah. Uh, All recruiter videos would have involved yeah. Ric Flair. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think it's unfair to just characterize Hudson as the motivational coach. Right, but that's, the how, same but way, that's how he's always characterized. I understand, I understand. The same way it's unfair to characterize Mike Elston as the guy that isn't the defensive coordinator. Yeah. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's fair. Now, I don't want to... We kind of shut down Fresh 1619's yeah, question. Let's, let's fill in the didn't it. really mean to do that. But, um, you know, anyway, that's just a possibility. That I mean, I don't think we definitely know that Greg Hudson will be the coordinator. We've thrown out a couple names in the past. I'm kind of fixed on Mike Elko because of what he's done at Wake Forest. We have some inkling that, that he's on the radar. That's mm-hmm. a name that's on the radar. Who else would be gone? I mean, I, you know. Will there I, be staff changes in the offseason? I, I just, I, 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 there has to be. I can't even, I, I can't even, you know, it was real. top 10 team fins finished unranked and doesn't change their staff. Like, <laughs> that's, that's insane. I mean, I, I just don't know. You can't keep, you can't keep doing this with your special teams. And maybe it's not all Scott Booker's fault. It probably isn't. But, if if the tenth coach is passed, and it won't be in time for next year, so maybe this is irrelevant. But like, I don't know if he could just coach tight ends and be a recruiting coordinator. Yeah, um, that would be a possibility. But clearly, you cannot keep doing what you're doing on special teams. I have, I don't have a name for you of an up and coming special teams coach either. Well, unless um, he's already in the organization. That's well, what they did last time, though. Scott Booker was. In I know, the but Marty Biaggi has a track record of, of, of on a smaller scale, on Much a smaller scale, smaller scale. But at least he has a track record of success doing it, which Booker did not at all. I man. And I look, look. He's there look, now look, with all hey, these errors. Look, you need a new. Ti- I'm sorry, you need a new tight ends coach. That this is this is tight. This is tight end you, and they are not productive in that position. Sure they not. haven't been for a couple years. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. Um, I would. Look, haven't we been in the Van Gorder situation? How much time did we spend sort of hammering Brian Kelly about <laughs> relying too much on familiarity for hires? That's why. That's and why not, I think he could keep Greg Hudson. And not yeah, but now we're talking about. I was like, well, Hudson, that may I could talk myself. Well, into no, that. you, you I, made them eight and five. I, 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 could, I could talk myself into Marty Biaggi was uh, from Jacksonville. I don't know where he was before here, um, but I think the problem with Marty Biaggi, and not to, I don't know what he can do as an analyst, but he's here right now analyzing the worst right. special teams in the country. Right. Exactly. So that's yeah. the promotion that yeah. you're going. <laughs> yeah. You've got to go outside there. Now, offensively, with Mike Sanford, I don't, I don't know what the future holds for him. Because, I mean, certainly the aura around him after last year is not the same. Um, where Deshaun, they just took Deshaun Kaiser and was like, wow, an NFL quarterback. Deshaun Kaiser has not had a poor year, but he has not taken the next step forward either. Um, and you could make a pretty good argument that he's taken a step back. Um, 
So does Mike Sanford stay another year? Does he wait for? Does he is he in a position now where he can hold out for a Power Five job, or is he going to have to go like the MAC, Mountain West route? I mean, I I would have thought that if Boise State gets in a situation where Brian Harson leaves, that Mike Sanford would be there in a second, and that that is a great job, and he would be kind of silly not to take it. Right. Um, he's worked there, he went to school there, he played there, um, but if that doesn't open. You know, does he need to rush out to <coughs> to fill the uh, vacancy at Toledo? I don't think that's a good probably idea. not at Purdue. Yeah, yeah, you should do that, but um, I wouldn't think that you would be in a rush to leave. Well, you know, I mean, he, he hasn't been, been given much of a chance to showcase that's another skills thing we don't here. know enough of. Uh, yeah, but, you know, well, yeah. yeah. I mean, he's a quarterbacks I, coach for sure, but he's listed as the offensive coordinator. And do you? Then Brock calls the play. Do, it is it time to turn? Is it time staff. to turn the play calling over to Sanford inside the ten yard line? <laughs> you know, yeah, certainly. First interview with Mike Sanford, I asked him about uh, Boise State's success in the red zone. He said most teams change who they are when they get into the red zone. Mm-hmm. Just do what you do best. They well, do, they do keep that's passing. what Notre Dame does. <laughs> <laughs> They're gonna throw it. Maybe it doesn't work. All first the time. and goal to nine. Yes, three times. <laughs> but first, you don't succeed. You know, it, it, look, it's a go. great question, and a lot of these things are open ended. I mean, we don't know. And behind all of this is Jack Swarbrick, who you know we know was involved in, at least in some shape and form and fashion, involved in the decision to to remove Brian Van Gorder. So. Um, you know, I'm not sure that Brian Kelly has maybe as much leeway just to pick and choose and say, Hey, I like Greg Hudson. I'm going to keep Greg, Greg Hudson. There may be somebody behind him that is, uh, pushing a different alternative. Yeah. And I think notable for that is that guy is also pushing a, here's a million dollars. You can go find a defensive coordinator probably again, right. as mm-hmm. they did with Van Gorder, which is significant. Right. That that should put you in a position to spend a lot more money on your staff. And I, look, I, Anything Jack Swarbrick has an inkling toward, anything that he suggests, I'm open-minded. It's going to happen. You know, it well, will happen, too. Yeah, yeah so, right. Yeah, like if, he, if he wants to do it, it's happening. You know what's really interesting? First of all, we're talking about this because Pete said they could win out. Like, obviously, if they go 6-6 six and six or whatever, they're not going to do this. Right. However, if they do win out, and Notre Dame has Mike Elston as a defensive coordinator, and Greg Hudson's a linebacker coach. I'm going to put that out there. Just All right, it's fine. This is, this is the win-out scenario. This is the win-out scenario. And the defense continues to play well, and they go into the bowl game and murder Ohio State's offense. No, I'm just kidding. But if they go into the bowl game and look great defensively against USC, against Virginia Tech, Elston's hired as a defensive coordinator in this scenario. Hudson's a linebacker's coach. In a way... They're co-coordinators. Co-coordinators. How about that? They, just, they've worked. That, that would I'm, work, I right? just have one scenario. I don't like co-anything. I don't either. I don't know. This is like my scenario. Corwin Brown, Tenuta... The, <laughs> didn't like that one? You know, well, this well, is, but it happens a lot of other places. This is just one way. Let's Sorry, Elston's the defensive coordinator. <laughs> Hudson's on the staff. It's the exact same defense they're running now. It's the exact same defense, really, just with different inventory. Less, by, by different, I mean less, than Brian Van Gorder. It's the fourth year of a defense, as opposed to bringing in someone new and changing the whole scheme. That's the only reason you could think they don't have to make a change for the whole defensive staff. If you're bringing in a defensive coordinator, you do change to his defense. Mm-hmm. And you do have coaches learning his defense. I'm well, not saying and, it's a good idea. I'm and, saying that's the uh, argument for it. You, and, you don't have to, you know what I mean? You know, You're running your defense. Mike Elko says, yeah, I'll come to Notre Dame, but I've got this coach and this, this coach, coach right? and this coach. So I want to come. That's why I'm just trying to illustrate, like, as Pete and, and you, Tim, both said, it's not guaranteed that they're making that change. 
Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah, I would say it's 100%. Right. I mean, a lot of things would have to happen for an Elston-Hudson combination to be under consideration. Notably, a few more wins. Right. But, I mean, if it, if it does happen, then yeah. And now, I mean, when they hired Van Gorder the first time, wouldn't we have thought that, like, Van Gorder's got this list of guys he wants to come with him? That didn't really happen. Um, so, maybe, maybe not. Maybe that, after I said it, it sounded dumb. Um, you know, Mike, I, I Mike Elko might think... be in a position where he, like, let's say Mike Elko comes. Dave Clawson probably promotes one of his position coaches to DC. Promotes the other guys. Everyone gets a raise. They stay. Okay, um, so Elko so uh, come in. He comes in. He's a more a secondary based defensive coordinator. He coached safeties, so he's DC and DB's coach. And maybe everything else stays the same. I don't know. Um, I mean, he coaches good defense, but right now what's happening at Notre Dame is also good defense. So I, I, I'm not really sure what the solution is there. Maybe Light can focus on corners. Yeah, by the way, that position is getting a lot better. Yeah. You know, it's he was he was having a bad first few weeks of the season. Um and since Van Gorder left, things have gotten a lot better. So that's I think that's worth that's significant too. I hope he made this really clear for fresh sixteen nineteen. Yeah, okay. <laughs> no idea. We're all over the we're all over I the just board promoted here. the team. people. It was a good no question because there are so many it is. offshoots it's, of, yeah. it's to consider. Uh next up we got N D ten twelve. Has special teams become a lost art because of A lack of preparation in practice, or B, the rules in college football to limit contact on kickoffs and punt no, returns. No, it's, it's A, plain and simple. Uh, your, your, players don't, your players don't know what they're doing on a regular basis. Plain and simple. It's bad preparation, bad coaching, end of story. I do want to pile on, actually. <laughs> it's a good, you know, the, the Jalen Elliott situation, Not whatever it was. Whatever it was is bad. Like, we could argue all day long, does Jalen Elliott not know the rule? Seems impossible. Did they not, did he have a mind freeze where he thought, uh, this ball's supposed to be touched, I better get is away he, from is it. Is he usually on that unit, by the way? He has been out there. Okay. Yeah. Um, I wanted to go back and look at that. Yeah, we had to see when he came on. Um, he's been I out don't there know if that was though. a cascading Javon McKinley injury, somebody else moves over. Right. McKinley was on coverage, in. though, wasn't he? Two? He was on kickoff yeah, return. Yeah, yeah. Well, maybe he wasn't. So if he's out, it's like, is there a domino effect that Elliot sure. is the guy who comes in? Either way, it'd be weird not to know the rule, right? Yeah. But that's bad. That no a coach, argument there. I don't know, like, do you, if you're a special teams coach, do you have to tell guys that it's a live ball? I don't know about that. Like, do you really need to drive that point home? All right, guys, there's this thing called an onside kick. And sometimes in football, the other team nah, kicks it and I think, it. So, I think it was just brain crap. I think the, but no the, matter what, it's bad coaching oh. that you have players out there that brain cramp on an onside kick. <laughs> Right? You know how I feel yeah, about it. So, so, okay, I'm just piling on for the heck of it. <laughs> no, it's, it, it's, I guess because I'm seeing it get explained away. Like, yeah, we need to do a better job of coaching that. You think? Yeah. You need to do a better job of, see, like C.J. Sanders, I know that's not Scott Booker and Brian Kelly's fault that C.J. Sanders catches the ball at the three, but it kind of is. Or he can't wave <laughs> off. Yeah. Troy Pride after a not waving off Miles Boykin. Yeah. Um, I mean, it goes special teams like his. These issues showed up when when Brian Kelly showed up. I mean, they had the theoretic unable to field a punt issue. Um, <laughs> then they just stopped returning punts altogether. Um, and then last year, I felt like that was it was all happening there. Like you had Newsom yeah. was good, Yoon was good, Sanders was good. They were a threat to coverage score on special teams. Coverage, coverage good, yeah. was good. And then, like, like Ohio State just freaking broke them. Yes, they did. 12 yards. Yeah. Yeah. 
It was unbelievable. Just the Fiesta Bowl ended all hope of special teams moving forward. I, it, it's a really bizarre situation. But yeah, it's the I'm the the Sanders thing. I, I just I don't get. Um, but you sharp, can have, yeah, he had, kid. It's, it's We're talking about lack of confidence. As yeah. many reps as he's had as a kick and punt returner. Were they, I mean, that's what they were talking about with Theo Riddick. Six years ago. He got the yips. He just couldn't catch the ball at that point. Once he, he, once he fumbled it twice, Riddick it was, was over. Riddick didn't catch punts well. Yeah, I mean, it was kind of... Now he's paid to catch the ball as a running back. <laughs> yeah. And, I mean, he makes a lot of money catching the ball. Well, that's different than a punt, but... But just, like, hands and... Like, he didn't have good hands yeah. at all. By and, the way, he said he always wanted to get that at his senior year. He talked about the regret. He goes, I've always wished I got that roll back. Interestingly enough. <laughs> he said he asked for it back. All right, we have a couple Twitter questions. First, TJC922, give me two things Notre Dame can do the rest of the season that would make you optimistic for a college football playoff run in 2017. I think Kaiser getting it together against uh, Virginia Tech, USC, in the bowl game would be very important in that mm-hmm. regard if he can come back. Um, I, don't think the, I don't think the playoffs revolve around Kaiser because I think Brandon Wimbush will do well, and we always discuss the rookie quarterback thing with Kelly. Um, and then I just think the that Vaughn, Love, Pride... And those guys, no, it doesn't matter. Tillery continue to look good against Virginia Tech and USC because that's as as Tim said, they are better offenses than than what they've what they've gone against so far. But Brad Kai was the big test, and I know probably got beat a couple times, but he was right there. So I think cornerback and quarterback are the things that I would be that are reasonable. Mm-hmm. That would make it's not like oh they have a great pass rush and running game. I know that, but yeah. that's not happening the rest of the year. Yeah. So cornerback and quarterback play for the uh, would kind of like buoy the offseason hopes. You'd, I, you'd like to see the offensive line gel a little bit more. And again, that, it's, that's it's, feasible. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 it is. It is, but it's also a little bit perplexing that why an offense. And I realize that you know you need you need chemistry and mesh. You need to play together, but it's a little perplexing at times when you see McGlinchey, Nelson, Bars, Mustafer. I mean, you're not better. You, well, yeah, because I mean, it's kind of the right guard spots kind of yeah. you know un, undeveloped at this point. But how are you not better with that personnel on the field? How are you not better? Yeah, I would say offensive line. I would agree would be my number one, and then winning a bowl game would be number two. Because yeah. how I think we forget what it was like walking out of the Coliseum two years ago and thinking, "Holy crap!" Yeah, they are in deep crap. And then they draw LSU, and you're like, whoa, this is just going to be a bloodletting. I thought it would be the worst game of the bowl season. And then that set that was nine minute, nine months of like, everything is awesome! <laughs> They're going to the playoffs! Like, I, I do think they would get that kind of buzz if they somehow went out. Even if they split USC and Virginia Tech, but then drew, let's say they drew Ole Miss or something and beat them sure. in a bowl game. It wouldn't be the same as beating LSU, but it, you'd have a similar. Everything's great for. for you don't mean months. a five and seven bowl win, right? No, I mean you <laughs> mean they look. They look, look if, Ole, if yeah. Ole Miss was seven and five and Notre Dame was six and six and they played each other in a tax slayer bowl and Notre Dame won by fourteen points, people would be legitimately excited about where the program yeah. was yeah, going. And I know you say you know no pass rush defensive end, but you you have D- uh, Dalen Hayes. Yeah. Who, you know, I mean, if he can as a... That would so- be my third thing. Yeah, I mean, if he can, as a sophomore, can be a Romeo Aquara type level pass rusher, yes. you know, equivalent to last mm-hmm. year, then you start feeling better about it. But I don't, you know, I want to see Donovan Jeter in a Nordic uniform next year, and that's not going to happen. Last question, Bobby Norrell wants to know, what are the odds of Deshaun Kaiser leaving? Because he seems to miss more throws than he should. 
The ads are huge. Yeah. Uh, Bobby Norell, uh, former Marion baseball player. Uh, nice. <laughs> I didn't know he. I didn't know he sent a question in. Um, the odds are significant. I mean, I, I, I barring, barring tell, tell what? them more about why you're giving the background info on this, though. It's well, I mean, as far as Greg Gaber, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, you know, it, it's it's fairly common knowledge within people within the NFL circles that the Kaiser's going to to put his name in the draft. Now, what would it take? An injury? You, nobody wants that. Um, it's you know. it's not about Kaiser missing throws. It's supply and demand. Yeah, the NFL has a lot of bad quarterbacks. They want one to develop. Deshaun Kaiser's at the top of that list, or the very high on that list. It's better athlete than Brad Kaya. Brad Kaya made some nice throws. I mean, they, the NFL likes Deshaun Kaiser more than some Notre Dame fans do right now because he hasn't been as good as he was in September. But mm-hmm. I, you know what? I don't think Deshaun Kaiser would be good in the NFL next year at all. Doesn't mean he's That's not a first not round point. pick. That's it's not, not the at all. Point, the point. At no, all. We're not arguing that at all. <laughs> his skills, yeah. his. I mean, everything, physically, mentally, emotionally. Right. He's what you're looking for in an NFL quarterback. He's got to get better he, a get, lot. Yeah, he'd get, a lot, he, but, you know. You put him in a bad situation next year and ask him to be a starting quarterback in the NFL, it would be horrible. he's going to struggle yeah, like a lot of guys, like, but, but yeah, that doesn't mean he's like not a first-round pick. 80% would because the NFL has some bad quarterbacks. Yeah, it's, I mean, whether it's the Browns or the 49ers – well, I mean, I don't think he's probably going to make it past those two teams because neither of them have a quarterback, and yeah. they can't keep doing what they're doing without one. So, right. so Brandon Wimbush is going to be Notre Dame's quarterback. I next year. would be shocked if Brandon Wimbush isn't starting next year. The first game is at Temple, I believe, and then Georgia here. I mean, that's that's happening. And of of course, we're assuming that Malik Zaire goes somewhere else for his fifth year of eligibility. I think that's also happening. I think that's more certain than Deshaun Kaiser going pro. Yeah. And <laughs> just one news I think note. they're both certain. One news note on that before we wrap up. Uh, the Illinois site on scout.com reported that Devin Butler took a recruiting visit there as a, as a grad transfer. So that would indicate he's not returning either, which makes sense. But Yeah, there's, there's, nobody no, has, there's no spot at corner for him with all the young guys. No, he's no, actually, no. It doesn't make sense to return. Well, I know you're not allowed to put good senior special teams players on your units at Notre Dame, but he was a good special teams player, actually. He was. Um, the question was asked about Tarian Folston in a fifth year. Um, yeah, I mean, I talked to him about it because um, I tried to phrase the question in a creative way that he wouldn't shut down before I finished asking it. Uh, I asked about, you know, do you think I had two more home games here and that's it? And he's like, yeah, it's, you know, I, don't really, I try not to spend too much time on that. And then somebody asked him directly, just like, are you coming back for fifth year or not? And he's like, yeah, yeah I don't know. Um, I, don't, I don't think that he would. Um, you know, they don't, he's not getting a whole lot of work here. So he probably hasn't gotten enough work to go pro, but you know his brothers at Pittsburgh, they run the ball a lot. Um, maybe that's a possibility. But um, yeah, it's just like fifth years. I don't, fifth year for linemen, underrated. Fifth year for skilled players, overrated. Yeah. And I think in the position of well, Boston and Zaire, they got. I mean, his days of being elsewhere. the feature back in Notre Dame are over. I mean, yeah. it's just not going to happen. As long as Josh Adams is healthy, he's going to get the bulk of the carries. They want, you know, they like Dexter Williams. It'd be nice if they could get more than two carries a game. But uh, it would. Well, Folsom gone the game six. Yeah, it would be in Folsom's <laughs> best interest to go wow. tr- yeah. try to play somewhere else yeah. next year, no if question. not turn pro. Yeah. All right. Well, that's it for Irish Illustrated Insider, brought to you by IrishIllustrated.com. We'll be back Thursday to preview Navy, all the news of the week. Uh, maybe we'll talk a little World Series on that podcast too. So, until then, Tim Priester, Tim O'Malley, Pete Sampson, thanks for listening.